Today we are going to talk about OODs. If you haven't heard of those, you really need to hear about them. They're very commonly talked about in the writing community and they're essential to your story. So come along with me and I will define them for you. Do you want to write fiction but don't know where to start? Believe me, I understand. I've stood in your shoes. I've wanted to write amazing stories and wondered if I was even on the right track. I worried and struggled for years. I know what it feels like to have no idea what you're doing. Like everything you write is cheesy and amateurish and you'll never be good enough to sit on the shelves next to the great authors of your time or the classics. But I want you to know there's an answer for you. A way to know that the stories you're writing will resonate with readers. A way to transform from wherever you are now in your writing journey to someone who's universally hailed as talented and a skilled storyteller. Welcome to The Story Savant, the podcast with free writing advice for the aspiring storyteller. I'm going to give you every tool I know to help you become a master storyteller. Every week, I'll bring you tips on story structure, characterization, themes, heroes, villains, and more to automatically make your story resonate with your audience. Stay tuned. We're going to learn to tell amazing stories, and we're going to have a ton of fun doing it. Let's do this. Good morning, Story Savants. How's everyone doing today? I don't think I have much in the way of a personal update, at least not in terms of writing. I am still plugging along. I'm working on Intercron. I'm doing all the things, but I, you know, not much has changed on the writing front since last week. I'm going to put up some pictures on Instagram of my microphone that I used to dictate. Not the most exciting stuff, but I am dictating and getting some words written for you. In terms of a more personal update, like the virus and everything, we're doing really well here. Our stores are continuing to get things in, but they tend to go really fast when they get them in, but we're pretty well stocked, so we're kind of just waiting it out. We actually, I'm in Utah, and we actually had, I'm sure a lot of you heard it on the news, an earthquake last week. It would have been after I put up the podcast, so I didn't mention it. Now, it was actually a pretty big earthquake. It ended up being like a 5.7 at its epic center. I'm about 25 miles north of where the epicenter was, so I, I definitely felt that my I was literally sitting on my bed typing on my laptop. I was working on writing, and my whole house started to shake. <laughs> it was pretty creepy, but honestly, it was a pretty mild shake. You know, it wasn't super, super scary, at least not for me. Different people felt it, you know, at different intensities. It was obviously much, much worse at the epicenter, which was south of me. And for the most part, the further south you moved, it got worse. So I have a sister who lives about 15 minutes south of me, and apparently it was a lot more violent of a shake for her. Both her girls, who are eight years old and then eight months old, woke up screaming. <laughs> Poor babies. But then, on the flip side, my mom, who lives just about five or ten minutes north of me, so you would think she would have felt it even less, actually felt it worse than I did. She said she felt like her windows were going to blow out because they were shaking so hard and it really wasn't that bad for us. It was pretty mild. So yeah, lots of fun. We're dealing with the twin world events of the pandemic and an earthquake, all kinds of fun. But honestly, the the really nice thing about it was that for such a big quake, for a 5.7, we did not have any casualties at all and very few injuries. I think the injuries were just due to, you know, something falling off a shelf and hitting someone during the quake you know, just really, really minor stuff. So that that's a real blessing. Yeah, it was kind of scary. It was kind of crazy. But hey, we're all here. We're all okay. And, and we're moving forward. So yeah, that's about all I have to say on the personal update. Let's get into the topic for today. Okay, so what is an OOD? That stands for Objects of Desire. Now, what is an object of desire? It pretty much is what it sounds like. It's what your character wants. It's what your character desires. Any character, just like any person, should have many desires in their life. In your story, you don't have to talk about every single desire they have for their lives, 
but you should have two main OODs that you focus on. The first one is called the external OOD, and the second, you guessed it, is the internal OOD. So let's define these. The external object of desire is what your character is actually focusing on, what they're doing moment to moment in the story. So We'll use some pretty common examples. I'll talk about uh, Frodo Baggins and Harry Potter. Frodo's external OOD is to get the ring to Mordor. That is literally physically what he's doing, right? He is moving along the path to physically go to Mordor and throw the ring into the fire, okay? So that's his external OOD. I actually like using Harry Potter for this example because that's a series. Lord of the Rings is a trilogy, but Frodo's external OOD really doesn't change across the trilogy, okay? He he's starts out wanting to destroy the ring, and at the end, he gets to destroy the ring, and there's not really a change in that over the course of the trilogy. But Harry Potter's different. His external OOD, you, you could argue that it's like going to school and being with his friends because most kids, that's all they're, they really live for. But in terms of the story, his external OOD changes depending on what book we're in. And, you know, in terms of deconstructing these stories, uh, J.K. Rowling made it really easy for us because pretty much Harry's external OOD is the title of each book. <laughs> So in the first book, his external OOD is to find the Sorcerer's Stone before the villain does who he thinks is Snape. In the second book, it's to open the Chamber of Secrets. In the third book, it's to deal with the Prisoner of Azkaban, things like that. So it's whatever he's dealing with in that installment that is his external OOD. It's what the entire story physically and in a very tangible way moves him toward. But you need to have a second OOD, which is called the internal OOD. This is a lot more long-term. It has to do with the character's personality. It has to do with their nature. In a very general way, it's going to tell you whether the character is good or evil. A quote-unquote good character, their internal OOD could be something really general like they want world peace, <laughs> right? Whereas a villain wants world domination or revenge or murder, right? I'm going to tell you right now, don't make world peace your, your character's internal OOD. It needs to be a lot more specific than that. It needs to be specific to the character and it needs to be specific to the world you've created for them. Let's look at these examples. World peace actually does kind of work for Frodo because overall he wants Sauron to be brought down so that there's peace in the land and Sauron isn't this big dominator, right? But it's not just world peace. It's that he wants to defeat Sauron or help defeat Sauron so that there is peace throughout Middle-earth. But more specifically to Frodo, what does he want? It, it is peace, but it's peace for a particular place. The answer is the Shire. And they're actually really overt about saying that in the book and in the films. He is shown a vision of what will happen to his beloved Shire if Sauron is allowed to take over. So he specifically wants peace for the hobbits of the Shire. So you see what I mean? His internal OOD shows his character. He's a peaceful guy. He's not a dominator. He's not evil. But it also is tied to his world, to what he loves, and to what he desires for himself. All he ever wanted was to live out his life in his beloved Shire. His internal OOD is reflective of that, but his external OOD is how he's going to accomplish that, which is by taking the ring to Mordor. You know, same with Harry. I kind of already said it, but his internal OOD, it's a lot about finding his own identity because he's lived most, most of his life not really knowing who he is. But it's also about bringing down Voldemort. In his case, especially in the beginning books, it's not so much about bringing down Voldemort because Voldemort is a threat. Because in the early books, Voldemort isn't back, right? But it's about finding justice for his parents and figuring out who he is. And then, of course, when Voldemort returns at that point, the only thing he's really looking toward is to bring Voldemort down. And everything in the later books, you know, joining the Order of the Phoenix, figuring out who the Half-Blood Prince is, all of those are geared toward 
helping Harry be stronger so that he can eventually defeat Voldemort. So that is his internal OOD. And again, you could talk about how it's tied to how he feels about things. It shows he's a good character because he wants to bring down the evil bad guy, but he also wants positive things like justice and peace rather than, you know, murder, power, world domination, that sort of thing. Okay, let's just say a couple more things about OODs that might help you in your writing. You should always set up something called try-fail cycles. That's try-slash-fail cycles. What this means is that a character should never get what they want the first time they try for it. A good example that I always use are the Rocky Balboa movies. Rocky wants to be the heavyweight champion of the world, but it takes him a long time to get there. So the try-fail cycle is put into play here by the fact that he has to go through a lot of fights and a lot of training and a lot of failures before he actually gets there. If you didn't have try-fail cycles, then what would have happened in Rocky is he would have just, you know, maybe trained real hard, gotten into the ring, punched out Apollo Creed, end of story. Yeah, there's nothing exciting about that. There's nothing that the audience can really grasp onto. We need to see them struggle. We need to see them fail. We need to be able to get behind them and root for them. That's why they're called try-fail cycles. They should try several times and fail several times so that the audience can really see them struggling. And when they finally overcome at the end of the story, it'll be that much more powerful. So make sure you give your characters try-fail cycles. I mean, how many times did Harry fail to take down Voldemort before he actually did? How many trials did poor Frodo have on the way to Mordor? And he kind of had an ultimate fail right there in the pit, you know, which made it that much more powerful. You can have as many try-fail cycles as you want. It's very common to have three kind of a magical number in our society, right? Like I said, you can have as many as you need to tell your story, but don't overdo it either. You don't want to have 17 try-fail cycles because then you're just going to bore your audience. Another thing you can do is, and I will give some examples of this, you can actually have your character, this is kind of in contradiction to what I just said, but it's just kind of a different way of crafting the story. You can actually have them obtain their external OOD very early on, but if you do that, they have to lose it again because they're not ready or worthy to have it. So let me give you some examples here. Batman Begins, the first Christopher Nolan Batman movie, I thought had a really good example of this. You know, of course, the mythology is always that Bruce Wayne's parents were murdered. And in that movie, he goes to the uh, courthouse when their murderer is going to be walking by and he plans to kill this man. He doesn't actually kill him, but he brings a gun with the intent of killing him. And the only reason he doesn't is because somebody else beats him to it and kills him before Bruce can. Now, that means that he actually obtained his external OOD early on. He wanted this man to die because he wanted justice for his parents, and he got that. But he doesn't exactly lose it again. I mean, the guy doesn't come back to life or anything, but it doesn't mean anything to him. You know, he's in a really dark place, and he sort of gets the justice he wants for his parents, but that's not actually true justice for his parents. We we learn um, later on as the movie progresses that there was a lot more to it. It had to do with the League of Shadows, and he is able to, in the finale, get a much, much deeper, greater, more satisfying justice for his parents, but it comes much later when when he has become much stronger, when he is trained, when he is in a much healthier state of mind. So he really wasn't worthy of true justice for his parents early on. And just the fact that he was going about it the way he was, that he was going to kind of do this vigilante murder thing, shows that he wasn't ready for it. So he did get the external OOD early on, but then he kind of lost it because he wasn't strong enough or worthy enough to hold on to it. Another, I'm trying to remember this one, another example I wrote down, oh, is, is the movie Troy, one of my favorite movies of all time. 
time. Such a great movie, but it is a historical epic. You guys know I love the historical epics. I was thinking that Orlando Bloom's character, who is Prince Paris, he decides that early on he is going to fight Menelaus for Helen. And he kind of has this very romantic notion that he's going to fight for her, and if he dies, he will have died for love, but either way, he will have averted the war. You know, and that's how he can save his people. Well, he is given the chance to do that, but the problem is he's very young, he's very cocky, doesn't really understand the art of war or what's actually happening here. He doesn't understand that Agamemnon only used him, you know, taking Helen as an excuse and Agamemnon is there to do war with Troy. He doesn't understand the politics of that. And so he's given the chance to fight Menelaus. And once he gets out there, he really kind of chickens out. And he does fight him, but he kind of runs away in the end in a cowardly way. And then the war is on because Hector kills Menelaus. So he did get what he wanted early on. He was determined that he would fight for Helen and that would be the the end of the war, but he wasn't really worthy to save his people at that point because he was too naive. He was too cocky. He didn't have the experience. He didn't understand. So he wasn't really worthy of getting it. And so he failed ultimately at that. He kind of got what he wanted, but he failed at it. Then near the end of the movie, we see him kind of resurging and learning. We always joke that he was uh, channeling Legolas because we see him using a bow and arrow again. And he, he can't really save his city. I mean, it's Troy. We didn't expect him to be able to, but he's able to evacuate many of his people and get them to a new place into safety. So he does end up saving his people at the end once he does have some very difficult experiences and has grown a lot. So those are some examples of giving them what they originally want. But again, it, it is still a try-fail cycle because what they wanted is not going to ultimately, they might get their external OOD, let's put it this way, but it's not going to accomplish the internal OOD. So it, it ends up being kind of cheap or they just fail at it or they get it and then lose it again. Another thing that you might do is that you might have the characters external OOD change throughout the story. They think they want one thing, but then as the story progresses, they realize that there's something else that's going to give them a lot more happiness. The biggest way I see this done is through romance. You have, you know, some gal lusting after some guy, and she's absolutely certain that he's the one for her. But then as she goes through things, she ends up falling for someone else. And so her her external OOD changes because this other guy is going to make her happiest. We see this in Disney's Frozen. Anna wants Hans because he said all the right things and she thinks she's in love with him. And then by the end, it's really obvious that she's not meant to be with him. She's meant to be with Kristoff. I still remember watching this with my brother who's like, 26 now. This was a few years ago when he came back from his mission. We watched it together and uh, near the end of the movie when Kristoff takes her back to Hans and says, you know, you need to get her to Hans. She needs to do True Love's Kiss. My brother was like, what? No. Needs to be that guy, you know? <laughs> and I remember laughing because the audience recognizes this, even if Anna doesn't right away. Another really fun movie that's one of my favorites that does this is While You Were Sleeping. She's in love with the first brother, even though she's never met him, so it's actually very similar to the Anna situation. But then when she gets to know his family, once he falls into a coma and in the end she ends up actually falling for his brother and it's 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 a romantic comedy it's very funny go watch it if you haven't seen it i i don't know if it's on netflix but i think it's on the disney plus app anyway now we got to do a so what moment and i have to apologize i haven't been doing this the last couple of episodes but i really need to i always want to go over a so what and what i mean by that is why do these elements that i'm talking about need to be included in your story why does the audience connect with them why do we as human beings connect with them in this case it's probably not rocket science i mean overall, we want, we have our own desires and we want to accomplish those things. So when we see a story, when we have a character who has desires and wants to accomplish something, we're going to root for them. We're going to want them to get what they want, right? We want them to be happy in the end. And especially if you have made your conflict good enough, you know, we're not going to root nearly as much for someone who just 
wants the hot guy at the dance because that might possibly be shallow. But if we're talking, you know, a really life-changing, world-changing, and I'm not at all bashing the hot guy at the, at the ball thing, that could be a romance. You just got to make it really compelling and something that we can really root for. That's why the greatest romances start out with the two lovers hating each other, like Elizabeth Bennet and, and Mr. Darcy. And by the end, man, we are rooting so hard for them to be together. But it's just the way they're crafting the conflict and crafting the story and letting us get to know the characters. And one of the best ways to do that is to be very, very clear on your objects of desire and then try some of these different techniques, such as giving them their external OOD early on or the try-fail cycles, because then we can really get behind them and really root for them. And that really is compelling to us because that's how it is in our own lives. We try it something we fail. We try it something we fail. We try it something we fail. And then when we finally are able to reach our goals, it's so much more satisfying and we've learned so much along the journey. And that's pretty much what we're putting into our stories. It's real life. It's how we live. It's how we learn. It's how we have experiences. So your audience will connect with that emotionally. All right. I hope this helps you. I hope you can put this in your writing. The biggest thing I can recommend is just be very clear about what your OODs are before you start writing. That way you will write to them as you go. And then your stories will be much clearer and much more concise and much more focused. So next episode, I'm going to talk about something called The Lie the Character Believes. I'm probably going to use, I'm going to try, if I possibly can, to give you guys the examples I'm going to use so that you can familiarize yourself with them if you want. I'm going to, it looks like, use Harry Potter. I'm also going to talk about The Crucible a little bit. The character, main character in that is named John Proctor. If you need to watch The Crucible, I, I honestly don't know. I'm sorry, I should have looked. I don't know where it's available, but I imagine they might have a version of it available on Netflix, maybe. If not, then on Amazon. My very favorite version of it is the one with Daniel Day-Lewis and Winona Ryder. Wow, it's amazing. Nobody can do that part like Daniel Day-Lewis. So I would recommend that one, but you can watch any version of it. It's a play. You can read it. You can listen to it. Again, you don't have to. I will explain the story, but if you want to be a little more familiar with it, do that. And I will see you in the next episode and happy writing. If you would like to support the show as a patron, hop over to www.patreon.com forward slash story savant. If you're big on Facebook, join our Facebook community at bit.ly forward slash story savant Facebook. To get a free PDF of my nine essential plot points for a page turning story, sign up at bit.ly forward slash story savant courses. All these links are in the show notes.